1: Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined as always by Nate Atkins. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all of you. Uh, it, it Hopefully, if you are traveling uh, by the time you're listening to this, um, well, I guess if you're listening to it on Wednesday night or if you're not in the uh, Midwest, uh, you, you don't have to be traveling by now. But if it's if it's Thursday morning, I hope that you're getting to wherever you are because it sounds like it's uh, going to be cold. And I'm, I'm going to start this podcast off with a hot take or a cold take. Oh. Um, just, and it's, it's one that it's one that the Colts fans absolutely hate, but it's fun to, I like to bring it up every once in a while. I think they should open the roof this week.
0: Yep. In (laughs) fact, I think they shouldn't have a roof at all. Well, I, I, I said that
1: once before and people didn't like that. I'm sure
0: they didn't like it, but I will just say it. I understand (laughs) there's a lot of benefits having a dome stadium as a, uh, on a business front. And, well, also, and, and, also, fan, and also I as say this is someone who covers from a press box, so it's kind of very hollow. But I will say my favorite game watching this season was Bill's Dolphins. With in the, the snow, snow coming down in the fourth with quarter. fans throwing snowballs at the Dolphins players. Like, that's just a fun little element. And the field goal going through the snow, winning the game. Like, you remember games like that. You know, the dome stuff is fun. I mean, I've covered two straight dome teams, but um, so you get – well, this Colts team is not the best example. This is a half dome. In the team. past, you t- you tend to get, you know, some great passing offenses can hit their ceiling in domes like this, as Colts fans know. But so I understand the product can be better and more suited twenty twenty two. But um, as an old school football fan, I like the outdoors.
1: I I I just this one, um, this one I'm just bringing it up because the Chargers are coming from Los Angeles, which might be. I I'm going to be honest. I don't know the Los Angeles forecast this week. But it might be like the only place in the country that's not incredibly frigid this weekend, and I might be tempted to freeze them up.
0: Yeah, and actually, if you look through NFL history, don't teams when they if I was outside. in
1: if I was in charge if I was in charge of a roof, I would actively use it as a weapon on purpose. <laughs> like, remember when the Twins got in trouble for like blowing the air in? Oh yeah, from the to blow out when the Twins were hitting and blow in when the other team was hitting. I would have done that. I 100 percent have done that. It's home field a, advantage. Might as well use it. Although that was a garbage. That was a garbage place to watch baseball. But um, yeah, I, I would question. use the roof. I would use the roof as a weapon. It, th- I mean, you don't have to open it if, like, you know, say Green Bay is here in in winter, then don't open it. But. But, yeah, open, open it up. But now. it's still
0: kind of funny if you're facing another team and they practice all week indoors preparing for your game and then you just open the roof. Yeah. your team practice outdoors, cause, which Jeff Saturday likes to do, and then they just open that roof. And for this year's team, it's a good strategy because they can't really move the ball whether there's it's cold or warm. So freeze the other team out.
1: The, the season ticket holders right now are like, but I don't want to be cold <laughs> yeah. in the stands. And I get that. I understand. I'm just saying, if if I was in charge, I, I would probably be pretty malicious with the, with the roof.
0: Yeah, it's pretty pretty brutal on the fans. Uh, of course, it's though it's it's all relative. You, you go to places like
1: uh, like if I had Peyton Manning, in that offense, with a roof, the roof might never be open because I would I would just be trying to I would just be trying to make everything as perfect as possible for him. But when it's not Peyton Manning, I might be like, you know, you're coming up from Miami. It's December. Let's freeze you out a little
0: bit. Yeah. And you go to places like Buffalo, Philly, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, where it's just in the blood to be outdoors Green Bay um, you know they, they find ways to adjust both you know it's like the old saying there's there's no bad weather, there's just bad clothing and there's
1: also bad levels of it That's a terrible saying. That's a terrible saying there is bad weather. And I say that I say that as somebody who comes from a very, very cold place. I think it applies to football though. I, I, I just think
0: I think the elements are such a fun, fun part of it. And look, now at the same time, the Bills had to move a game because they got too much snow this year. Right. And they had to move it to Detroit, which is like that's that's kind of a poor use of uh taxpayer dollars when you're not using the stadium that they paid for you. Uh so But that happens once in a blue moon. But it'll be fun this weekend to see. There's a lot of those, like the same team you covered. Luckily, Indianapolis.
1: And Cleveland. Cleveland routinely has like the worst weather of any football team in that country. I say best, but like there's there are always like three games a year there that it's so windy that you can't kick. There's always a cold like snow game. Mm -hmm. There's always a wet game. Like for whatever reason, Cleveland's weather on Sundays is just garbage.
0: Yeah, and that's that's. That's why how they created the dog pound is a bunch of crazy hooligans just out there in horrible weather, hoping to impact the game, and sometimes it works.
1: Before, before I, I do want to put this out there though, if anyone out there is going, well, you you have to you have to go sit in. I have, I have. I've been to I've been outdoors mm-hmm. in the stands at a game when it was uh, three degrees at kickoff and negative seven by the time the game was over. And to your point, um, I mean, I, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, so I had I had the gear, but um you can you can put on more clothes but there there is bad weather well of course there is like but hurricanes are bad weather well, there's yeah, no clothing for to to that hurricane. in the midwest there's no clothing for a hurricane yeah
0: there's i mean you know, we're gonna talk about forest fires <laughs> and hurricanes and tornadoes like <laughs> that's not what it's I'm not feeling. gonna work it, c- clothes do not help you in a tornado so i've heard but i will say here in the midwest there's mostly leather belts
1: help you in a tornado Leather uh what's the thing that, that uh Bill Paxton uses to keep himself from getting him and Helen Hunt get it from getting blown away in Twister. Oh, yeah. It's like a leather strap of some sort. Oh like yeah, that, it's just straps it
0: so you just don't get pulled away. Yeah. That That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Uh,
1: to this Colts team. I I don't know I I we we need to talk about the fourth quarters, I think. I think you know I, I think that this one Previously, there's been a lot said and a lot written, and by Thursday morning there'll be another step story up where Gus Bradley talks a lot about what happened from his side, from the defensive side that went wrong on on Saturday. Uh, but I, I want to talk about the fourth quarters in general because even if you everyone's talking everyone's mentioning 55 to nothing, but they also were outscored 14 to three by Philadelphia in the fourth quarter, eight to nothing by Pittsburgh. And even the quote unquote good game, the Raiders game, was six to six in the fourth quarter, and the Raiders were driving. Um, yeah, at Gilmore, the end of it, Gilmore gets the stop. Gilmore the gets the stop.
0: Um, and they were positive, they were up like 30 points on the differential entering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they're, I you think, they're the one thing they did is the fourth quarter.
1: I think they're like negative 51 or something like that in the fourth quarter. Well, 55 of that is the t- last two weeks, yeah. Um, so that's positive four, and then you throw in the other ones. They've been, like I said, they've been outscored eighty-three to nine in the fourth quarter. Um, it's just, it's just a, a, a awful, awful, inexplicable stat.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting to think through why that is because it, it is the total reversal of early in the year when they would struggle sometimes. The right, first the only half time they were was, good in the fourth was in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and they would. I mean, they have four wins and a tie. They're all fourth quarter comebacks, and. Uh, and, and even their defense, or a lot of those games, they would they would rise up in the fourth quarter, which is obviously not what they've done in the past two.
1: They didn't give up a point, I think, in the fourth quarter in the first five games,
0: right? The defense. Yeah, yep, yeah. It was like twenty-four nothing in that span. So, the thing that's changed, I think, I this is where it's like you talk so much about complimentary football, and it gets it sounds cliche, but this is what's happening is that I've been a little light on the defense bec- the last couple weeks because. I just think eventually they were going to collapse under the weight of this offense, and that's kind of what happened here. And back early in the season, when the offense would come back in the fourth quarter, that would spill over to the defense. They would stay on the field more. They would actually launch some drives. You would start winning field position. You get that defense rested, and you would get them believing that we're going to come back. That belief used to be here with this team. You talk to them uh, early in the year when they were, you know, where they were coming back on the. Uh, Jaguars and Broncos and, and games like that. They they said we believe we we've just got to keep it within range. They were one they were down twenty to three. The Texans got it to overtime and then missed a field goal. But they had this belief of as long as it's within two ish scores, you know, we have the guys, we have the plan, the leaders to find some way to have a chance at the end. That belief just feels completely gone, and that's because the offense is just sort of it's just it's cratered in a way that that's that's hard to like you watch the offense and they don't look like they believe in it that makes it very hard for a defense to gain any energy off of it and then the results are just not there they're just not on the field enough um against dallas it was turnovers and then this past week there's just the the shortest drives ever
1: gus gus bradley tried really hard uh to keep it about himself and about the defense which i understand as a coach it's what you have to do you're, you're you have to take your charges and try to show them what went wrong and the defense isn't you know the defense isn't completely inculpable in this obviously the defense gave up yeah. a lot of yards a lot of points um, two big plays that Gus Bradley detailed what went wrong on um, and the penalties the, too. the penalties too he, you know he detailed some of the stuff that went wrong but it was interesting his answer about the pass rush was the closest he came to just acknowledging that how many plays they faced uh, has taken a toll on them um, and took a toll on them. M- the Minnesota game is sort of a, a microcosm of the whole season, where the the defense got them the lead. Uh, it, I can't remember what I can't remember the exact figures, but um, Football Outsiders in their their recap of the week said that the Colts' offense was like the only offense ever to build that kind of a lead with a negative DVOA in the <laughs> uh, in the first half. Uh, because the defense was playing so well, mm-hmm. and they they got stops after halftime. They had, they forced three punts and they had a pick. First series with a three and L. Yeah, um, that's that's the remarkable part about this. They fit, but but in getting back to where I was, trying to come full circle. Um, Bradley's – I was asking about the pass rush. They had seven sacks. Normally, pass rush closes games. That's what they've always said, especially around here from the Mathis and Freeney days. And he said, "Yeah, we had sacks. We had pressures." Uh, he said, "You know, the drive before the Dalvin Cook thing, first, second, and third down, they had pressure on Cousins, um, and that he thinks that's why they called the screen. Why the Vikings called the screen when they did? Um, and then he said you just face so many passes. They they threw so many passes in the second half that something was going to give, especially when you know Justin Jefferson's out there and Adam Thielen and, and Osborne played really played really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of the whole thing. There, it's just it's just too much weight on them." Now, obviously the defense was bad. The defense in the second half, in terms of giving up all those points, you'd want to. You, if you're if you're a truly elite defense, you'd finish what you did in the first half, regardless of what the offense is doing to you. But that's that's holding them to a standard that's like, you know, a top three or four defense in the league. Uh, this is a good defense that has been asked to carry an entire team for most of the season, and like you said, it, it eventually it was going to break down.
0: Yeah, and I think that the mental breaks where you see with the penalties, which is the main thing Bradley brought up, was uh, he, he singled out three penalties they just can't have. It's a loss of focus in those moments, and it, that's the thing is it looks like these guys are trying to do a little bit more than than they used to try to do because they don't trust the offense to score. And this game was against the Vikings was a perfect example of that, what you just cited, the negative DVOA. They had one – the offense had as many touchdowns as JoJo Doman. So – The defense knows what they're playing with. Now, that doesn't excuse all the performance. And what caught up to the Colts in this past game, I think, was the DB injuries. Kenny Moore out, Brandon Faison out. What that does is the guys that you're playing, you're playing all the time. And when you're running that many plays, two things are happening. I mean, they're they're getting tired because if they're trying to cover in man coverage – you know play after play after play that does take a physical toll, but also it stresses your communication on the road and I noticed that multiple moments there was one of the touchdowns I think it was KJ Osborne the Vikings ran they the, and they motioned him across and and got him leaked out and and tried to and they got Julian Blackman crossed up with Stefan Gilmore trying to communicate that. Because they did it late, it was just a good play design. But that's what's happening when you have guys in and out, and that's why they ended up playing Dallas Flowers twenty four snaps. They'd never played him on defense, but at some point they can't just play the same guys for sixty plays and a half and have them try and cover a man against guys like Justin Jefferson. It's going to take a toll
1: from a pass rush standpoint too. The lack of depth on the on the defense on the defensive line plays a role here too. I think DeForest Buckner played seventy three snaps. That's a lot. Yeah, for a guy who gets double teamed a lot, um, and and some of the and, and the others the other defensive ends were up in the 60s range. Um, I think Grover Stewart played 56. You know, I, there was a lot of pressure and a lot of sacks from them, despite playing that much. But it's just it's just too much. It's too many plays. They, I think Gus Bradley said they faced 93 plays. Um, I can't remember. I think the official total is 91, but there's, he's probably including a penalty or two in there. Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, penalties don't go on the stat sheet. They, they did play that down. Yeah. Um, 93 is an enormous amount of plays. And they face 61 plays after halftime, which there have been g- several games this season where the Colts offense didn't run 61 plays the entire game. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a little bit low for a normal to, normal is kind of around 65 to 70, usually 65 to 75, but still like there are, there are games all over the NFL where, where teams don't run 61 plays on offense. The Colts had to do it all after halftime defensive.
0: Yeah. And after halftime, the Vikings gained more than 400 yards. So that's the amount of yardage that you have to run around chasing these guys, which again, falls back on them too, for giving up some of those plays. They could have helped prevent some of the number of plays by playing better by, being a little bit more sound in coverage, and by not giving the, the big thing, I think that Bradley is stewing on is the fact that they gave free plays to them, free downs and situations through penalties, personal fouls,
1: situations like that. Um, so and and the and the big ones, the two sixty yarders, he was saying because it it the, doesn't take the Vikings any time when yeah. you know they get the ball back and they score immediately, um, you know and and. <laughs> There was a miscommunication on the, the long pass. Um, Zaire Franklin was supposed to carry uh, Osborne up the field. Uh, it didn't happen, and so they, he ends up wide open for the the, the screenplay was a total breakdown. He mm-hmm. said they, they misfitted on the front end and took bad angles on the back end, and that's how you get a 64-yard screen. He said even if they even with just the misfit, um, it should have only been an eight to nine-yard gain with people pursuing correctly and not taking bad angles to the football. So there, I mean, there are big mistakes in there, but it is, it's fair to say that the offense has to do more than that and has to do more than that all season to make this, make this defense's performances count. Yeah. That's where I kind of
0: going back to, this
1: is the toll that's going on is they were tired within
0: a game. They're tired within a season. This is physical fatigue. It's mental fatigue because it's how they performed. I saw a chart today that uh, just looked at since week nine. uh, So that was, I think that was just after Jeff Saturday's first game. This is what this is charting. And the Colts are dead last in EPA per play on offense on in in the passing game in that span, and they have the fifth worst rushing attack. So two bottom five units in that span. And in that entire span, they've played a lot of these dome games. They've all been good weather games. So there's just not an opportunity for this defense to really get a breather here. So this is just you get later and later in the year, everyone's playing through things and they're human too. They know there's a certain toll that goes on them mentally and physically. Again, back when they would lead fourth quarter drives that, that would help keep them in it more mentally. And I remember that Denver game, granted Denver's a bad offense, but that like that looked like, like that, that felt over until Stefan Gilmore steps up, you know, is locked in, jumps around in the end zone, picks it off. And they kind of had held them in that the whole game to have that chance. That kind of, that, that, that kind of fight is gone right now, and, that, and it's spilling over into desperate penalties because they realize that they have to do the scoring. They have to get the takeaways. They have to produce for this offense because the offense just isn't really doing anything.
1: It's only going to get worse, too. I mean, they're playing three of the worst run defenses in the league in the last three games, but this run offense has pretty much only been successful this season with Jonathan Taylor, and he's now down for the season. So they're going to get a look at Zach Moss. They're going to get a look at Deion Jackson. Those two guys are averaging 3.6 and 3.4 yards per carry this season. Uh, Taylor averaged 4.5. It's they're they're running the ball so much, and they have not been efficient doing it. And you you think maybe they'll break through against one of these bad run defenses? But they've had several games now where they didn't break through um, against bad run defenses, and that was with Taylor. So they, it's it's a uh, it it doesn't look good for this offense. I mean. You could say run the ball more. They're not good at doing that. You can say throw the ball more. They haven't been good at doing that. There's, there's just not, there's not a lot of hope for the last three games. Not that a lot of Colts fans want hope for the last three games. But in terms of what the offense is going to do and, and fixes that they can have, I don't know that there's a ton to expect.
0: Yeah, I think what they really lose most with Jonathan Taylor is that explosiveness. So they ran 37 times with Zach Moss and Deion Jackson, and the longest run was 11 yards. And so when you're trying to keep pace with an explosive offense like the Vikings, you just make it so much harder on yourself. And that's what would happen is they would even – their backs in that game average 3.7 yards a carry. Like maybe that's – you know, that should at least help you for a couple of drives. But not when the longest run ever of the whole day is 11 yards is that it, you, you have to keep running the plays. And in this offense, they're just not on schedule enough. They, they commit too many penalties or they have – a sack where you know their overextended offensive line and, and their aging quarterback kind of get swallowed in a moment, and if they get thrown off schedule like that, they just don't have a way to make up for it because of the lack of explosion everywhere, run game, pass game. Their quarterback's not throwing more than fifteen yards down the field. Uh, that's a problem. And then you know, with Michael Pittman Jr., you know he's trying to fight for every yard, which is how he ends up fumbling. But he's doing that because he's trying to be this yak machine. But he's getting you know bracketed and. Um, he's getting safety coverage to take that away. So, until they find some kind of creative way to get the ball more to Paris Campbell and Alec Pierce and let those athletic players try and generate something, maybe Kylan Granson can do some of that, Jelani Woods, some of these natural athletes, and find ways to get them the ball in space. That's what they're going to have to do to find some kind of explosion. But if, like, this offense without Taylor, it, it just is not built to go, you know, 10 play drives. Um, and it's not built to go four-play drives cause they don't, until they find that explosiveness either. And so what ends up happening is they're, they're just not staying on the field uh, the way that they need to to give their defense a rest and to kind of manage this thing.
1: I think, I think it's almost not even about – I mean, they haven't – with Taylor hasn't had the explosive plays that he had last season, but obviously he's more explosive. I think it's even on the other carries too. Taylor can create yards and create a five-yard gain where there's a no-yard gain. And we just haven't really seen that from Moss or Jackson this year. With, I mean, maybe like one or two carries from Jackson over the course of the season, but we just haven't seen a lot of it. And those, that's that's where you end up with, you know, like there was bad blocking on one uh, play down by the red zone, and Zach Moss lost seven yards, and he lost two on another one. Maybe, maybe Taylor gets you, maybe Taylor makes somebody miss, you know, does something like they're, they're just not getting more than's blocked. And I thought Taylor a lot of times this year, his two and three yard runs were way more than it should have been. Then it was blocked. It was it was two three two to three yards, and it would have been like, no yards. Um, so it's it's tough to it's tough to think that this running game is going to be good. I mean, for Zach Moss, I think this might be his best chance to prove himself in the NFL. He's a former third round pick, never found it in Buffalo. Honestly, Buffalo is not a great place to go if you're a running back. Um, they don't use their running backs extensively. Uh, he gets traded here. This this is a chance. This is an opportunity for Zach Moss. I, I don't know how what the division of labor is going to be. It was it was heavily Moss the other day. Uh, Fifty three snaps for him, twenty five I think for for Jackson. Um, but yeah, this this might these this last three games, and this is this is where you get into what what guys are playing for here in, in the down stretch part. This last three games for Zach Moss is his chance to prove that he should be part of a backfield rotation somewhere, um, and maybe his last chance to prove that. So, uh, a big three games for him.
0: Yeah, time runs out fast and you as a running back, so you try to take advantage of every chance you get, and that's the same case for Deion Jackson, who's a second-year undrafted player. Jackson
1: adds a little bit more because he can play spe- because he can play. Mm-hmm. He can be a core four special teamer, but I know what you're saying.
0: Yeah, and but that's where he was. Uh, yeah, he was really crushed after the game because he fumbled. Because you only get so many chances to be, uh, you know, a high snap running back in this league, and, and you want to take advantage of them. Uh, but you know, he's he's surprised them in ways that like, they didn't know that was there until um, till like halfway through the season when he really started to click in mentally and practice and you know working on the drills they're doing in, in – in, get a lot better pass protection. I think that's the reason Zach Moss is playing more is the pass protection. They just they have to find some way to eliminate the danger. Uh, the problem is, yeah, it's all of that. It's it's you know you have Zach Moss who's better in pass protection. I think Dion Dion's a better receiver and I think a little bit better of a runner. Uh, but the, you know they're they're all they're, they're backup type players and they're playing in an offense that's you know it's just not on schedule and not. Um, like that run by Zach Moss was they ran into, they ran into a blitz off the edge where they just flat out did not have the number of blockers for what the Vikings had and what they were trying to do in that moment as from the one yard line was quick snap it before the Vikings moved over to that spot so that Moss could just get the ball and go and that's just it's just not a good approach in this league where you're, you're banking on an NFL team not being ready out of a timeout. Those are the type of plays that, like, they've got to get guys in better situations than that. So it is a good audition, though, for uh, for Moss and Jackson to, to look capable, and that's what a lot of these guys are trying to do right now. Like another guy we talked to the other day was Dallas Flowers, and I was kind of blown away by just how kind of engaging he was and how kind of he's enjoying moments of this experience, you know, in a way that, that fans, and it's hard to relate to because obviously it's been – miserable for the team but some of these guys just want a chance. And some of these guys the situations are so unideal for the team, but it creates opportunities for other guys, um like a Deion Jackson or Zach Moss. It's never where uh, the Colts want to be, but it's where they are and it does give these guys a chance to fight for it. So these these final 3 games are huge. I mean if if Moss and Jackson, guys like that are flowers, they go out and they look like real nfl players for three games that tapes out there your tape comes your resume and that's what these guys are going to play for so there's no you're going to get plenty of guys fighting like that uh the question is sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the defense sort of the collective focus and energy because all it takes is one guy to derail it for a team aspect but certain individuals are certainly going to fight
1: we've we've been over this before but i thought i thought your point there about running into a run blitz um, there's been a lot of talk about Matt Ryan's physical limitations this year. I think one of the things that I didn't know coming in, um, having not covered him on a, on a game-to-game basis, it doesn't—it just doesn't feel like he's on Phillip Rivers' level in terms of identification before the snap. Um, it just feels like they've had a lot more problems with that this season. I, I know the offensive line is worse but it also feels like there's been more free rushers, less run blitzes that, have, that uh, there's an audible that, that gets away from it or gets them into something better. Um, and I, I think that's probably a pretty high bar. Philip Rivers is sort of, uh, I think, well, Frank Reich told me once that he thought Philip Rivers, and Frank Reich, Coach Peyton Manning, as a quarterback's coach. He thought that Rivers, in terms of identification and knowing what was coming, was right up there uh, with Manning as far as being able to do that kind of stuff. I, we haven't seen a lot of it from Ryan and I know right now a lot of the conversation with Ryan is about his arm and um, his being antsy in the pocket and a lot of physical stuff but I just I feel like one of the other things I didn't know was that there wasn't as much anticipation wasn't as much recognition I, I don't think it's as bad as like you know he just can't do it you can't get to this point in his career without doing it it just I was expecting something closer to the river's level of identification at the line of scrimmage.
0: Yeah, I don't think he is on Rivers level and like you said, not many guys are. It's you know, it's it's also yeah, the the situation is quite a bit different too. Uh right, you know, Rivers had played in Reich's system before and frankly that whole offense was just way better, way more professional than this one. And so what I noticed on a play like that one I mentioned where they didn't identify the run blitz, I can tell what they're trying to do is snap it fast. And this has happened a couple of times. They want Matt Ryan to snap it faster than he's snapping it. Matt Ryan, though, is also making sure everyone's lined up. And this team has consistently had false starts and misalignments and guys who didn't know where they were going to block. And this is the chaos that they're living in. And it doesn't excuse Matt Ryan because he can, you know, I'd like to see him Yeah, take he can it slow on. it down. I'd like to see him audible that more. Play was in, that but, play
1: was in the first half. Like, you can, you can slow that down and just say, hey, the look was bad.
0: Yeah, but I'm saying they coached all week to snap it fast. So that's pretty much. I mean, he can say FU to his coaches, but that's what we're asking him to do at this point. Their plan is to have him snap fast and hope the defense wasn't paying attention. And that's just not a good plan. And that's that's kind of what it goes back to: is you're, they're also putting a plan on an offense that isn't ready for it. They're too young. They're not. You know, they. This has been a very penalty. If this offense thing.
1: isn't ready for this plan, they're never going to be ready because it's the simplest <laughs> offense that in the NFL right now. Well, they can't run the game plan right now. Well, also the the thing they, is though they they, they, they ran in, it, but
0: all. sometimes they run it, but it doesn't work. Like it doesn't catch anyone off guard. Why would the Vikings not be lined up coming out of a timeout? Like that that is a ridiculous plan to me, that that was ever the play call because that's clearly what it was. Is like let's just hand it off left, right into, you know, a seven man box. So I would like to see Matt Ryan audible out of that. But all, what I'm saying though is doing that would pretty much say we're going to waste our week of work because they're literally building an offense. It looks like a high school offense. Line up, try and snap it quick and just blow everyone off the line of scrimmage or catch them out of position, and that just doesn't happen in the NFL. And that's where, like, this forced run offense is It's just kind of hard to watch when that's what they're banking on. It, it, maybe that works at a Division two level in college, but it, I have yet to see it really work in the NFL.
1: The, the quick snap thing, when teams do that well, it's it's a one-off. You know, it's it happens once in a game yeah. or twice in a game. Um, I I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't want to. I think I'm always I'm always cautious of of thinking I've seen something more than I have. So I don't want to I don't want to guess at it. It does feel like the Colts have tried it a little bit more than that uh, than a one off or, or two off. Um, but yeah, again, sometimes sometimes you think stuff and then you when you go look at the numbers. Uh, it doesn't look that way like a good example is you know everyone was so upset about them running on second and long previously under under the previous coach and the numbers always came out looking the other way so um but it does it does feel like that now I, I don't know if that's a feel thing where it's I feel like that because of the, those plays stick out to me or if it's actual numbers and I actually don't short of watching the Colts do, watching every play of the Colts and then watching every play of the other 31 teams. Um, it might be tough for to actually figure out their quick snap um, proclivities compared to the rest of the league. But it does feel like a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, especially in the run game. And I think that's what
0: Parks Frazier is getting out. And he says, you know, he wants to stay aggressive in the run game. And if this personnel was more experienced, more together, more Just better, more confident. Uh, They could do more of this. I'm not saying this doesn't ever work. There are moments like that. um, The big one we've talked about is the ending of the Steelers game when they tried to quick snap it on a run play on third down, and uh, and it got blown up by Alex Highsmith. Who, um, you know, this is what they're running into is is fighting. That was a player who knew, who who was pretty sure what they were going to do based on the personnel they had out there and the way they lined up, but also. They were having a hard time quick snapping it because they're trying to get these guys lined up, trying not to get a penalty, moving receivers across the field. This is just when you you introduce so much chaos to this offense. Yeah, you're right. In theory, they should be able to handle this because it is a simple sort of thing. But nothing has been simple for this offense all year. They don't have guys who've played consistently in these spots, and they're on their third play caller of the season um there's a lot of stuff like this just this adds up too it's not an excuse for them The, the offense really doesn't have any excuses but it's just one of these situations where uh you know the coaches keep bringing up you know if we could just execute if we could just execute well some of the things that they're introducing right now in the situations they've introduced them in are not really giving them the best chance to execute now the problem is i don't know how much more they can do because it's this balance they're in right now where they have a very safe and simple offense to limit the turnovers, to limit the hits on a quarterback who's already separated his shoulder. That all makes some sense. And they're, they're trying to get into these games. Their defense can take over. And the problem is, though, that they, they're they banking so much on execution from a unit that is just, in most cases, worse than what it's going up against.
1: Oh, I, just, I just don't think in the NFL, in the modern NFL, you can just line up and do what you do and be fine. That teams that's teams spend all week preparing for tendencies, preparing for like that's I feel like so many conversations after games, when there's a big play made by a defend by a defender, they say, Well, they came out in this split, so I knew they were running this, so I just jumped the route. Mm-hmm. And when you're not breaking tendencies as much, when you're uh running simpler stuff, it becomes easier to identify. Um a significant portion of the way this offense was designed not not the one they're running i'm talking about the overarching playbook the one that was here for the for, for four and a half years a significant portion of the offense was designed to make it harder for de- hard for defenses to know what was coming the simpler you get the easier it is to know and i know i know there's this thought out there that you just line up and run what you do it's just not how the NFL works. It didn't work, didn't work like that when I covered the Saints. Uh, it doesn't work like that when you're the New England Patriots. Everyone is running something to take advantage of their opponent's weakness, to uh, make people's eyes get in the wrong spot, to like, making, making it hard to identify as part of the NFL. I don't know if this offense is doing that right now at all. And, you know, like the Highsmith play you mentioned, he said in his post game press conference, "I knew by the way they lined up what they were going to do, and you got to you got to find ways to not have that happen, because in the NFL when they know what you're going to do, you lose."
0: Yeah, that's the thing. When when this that's true for most. Yeah, almost all the the NFL, but right now especially true in this offense where most positions you're worse or younger, and in that situation they were asking Jelani Woods to block. Alex Highsmith, and that's just not what he's built to do. You're asking a rookie to to blow up one of the best, uh, you know, one of the better defensive ends in the NFL when he knows what the play is going to be. And this is sort of where this team's at. To circle it back to the fourth quarter conversation is there's been talk about this team starting better and they are. I mean, I I liked how they came out and ran that first drive where they were getting the ball to Ashton Doolin and Michael Pittman to the perimeter. They got a screen to Jonathan Taylor, like they can come in with some good. Uh, moments in the script they did that against the Eagles where they kind of ran down their throat the problem is what you're getting at is the there's not enough of a plan as far as uh, breaking tendencies playing off tendencies uh, dividing up snap counts in order to seize on situations like there's just not enough changing personnel within a game to make those adjustments and Jelani Woods is a good example of that is that you know he has that big game against Pittsburgh and then he basically didn't play until the fourth quarter against Dallas because they liked how Mo Alley was blocking and how the unit was working. But at some point, if you just keep the same guys on the field, keep running the same plays, the defense catches up. And what happened in that game was it caught up in such a huge way where you know, they started to, to stop the run more and then they forced all the turnovers and, and the offense just cratered. And that's the thing is – when they were at their best early this year, there was definitely room to criticize the plan coming in, how complex they made it on an offense that couldn't block, that couldn't pick up free rushers. All that was a big problem. But the thing they were good at was the adjustment throughout a game, breaking tendencies, setting things up, reading a defense and reacting to it with your play calls and with your audibles. And uh, that that's where Matt Ryan would finally get in a groove. And the, the one thing he's done well this year was lead those fourth quarters and everybody was like they had all built this throughout a game and they they knew the plan they were going to do then right now i think it falls apart in the fourth quarter because it's the opposite of that it is we're going to keep running the plays we've run throughout the game but now the defense knows what we're running and we are not you know we're not built to win that way and your confidence goes down when you keep having three and out three and out or turnovers and um that's kind of how it can crater on you
1: they could be as confident as they want, they want right now, and they'd still be <laughs> like. It's been such a bad offense that this confidence—I don't know if it helps them much. But that's that's kind of the thing with these last three games. There's just not a lot of answers. There hasn't been a lot of answers for a long time. Yeah, it's, it's it, a next it, season thing.
0: It, it absolutely is, and that's you know, and that's where like the defense to circle it back there for a second because I just kind of wanted to lay out why I think this is cratered on them. But the defense, it's worth pointing out, they've they've been very
1: good this year, but rarely after, have they after felt. After half, the, the other thing is after halftime, D, D, DVOA wise, they were much worse than what they were in the first half, but they weren't bad. Yeah, like it wasn't awful. They were right around like mid level against the Vikings after the after the half defensively. That's such an indictment on the offense and goes to what you're saying, like. They they played basically league average football after the half with a thirty three nothing lead. You shouldn't lose. Yeah, not 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 something that should happen.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at with that matchup. That was a very specific situation where the Vikings offense is super explosive. You give them a home game in that dome with Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, and once Kirk Cousins gets going and once that avalanche starts, like they're gonna get rolling on people. The pro the thing is you gotta beat the Vikings by taking advantage of their leaky pass defense, the way that Mac Jones tore it up, the way that Zach Wilson tore it up. So if the Colts to have fifty six passing yards after halftime, that is that is just such such a low uh that's such a low moment for that offense in a dome, not a weather game this late in the season. Um it just at some point you have to acknowledge what they are and what they're not. And so the defense to to kind of put a bow on them, like I, I'm just I'm just laying out where I think the the toll has, has, what the toll has been on them. But they've always been a good defense this year. I think they've they've been hovering around top ten, but they're not a dominant defense. And this is the problem: is that they don't they don't have it in them to consistently create these negative plays. The, they got some sacks on Sunday, but in general, they don't. You know, they don't dominate teams. They don't force turnovers in a way that that eases it so much on an offense to play that way not and, and they shouldn't be asked to do that but that's the difference between you know there's a few other teams that could manage this a little bit better um by having dominant defenses that have you know edge rushers on both sides that really make you pay and um and lots of cornerback depth which just just isn't there right now so it's it's a good unit that I think it's it's like they're just running out of gas at this point in the season
1: kind of like the season in general <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah. like the season in general is running out of gas. Uh, we're getting close here to when the Colts go into uh, access. People are going to start filtering into the media room. So we're going to wrap it up. But uh, enjoy your Christmas. Uh, enjoy your, your time with family. Get If you're in Indy, get out of here before midday Thursday. And uh, we'll be back on this podcast after the Chargers game on Monday night on the 26th. For the Indy Star, I am Joel Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins.